The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. I just want to read through this passage real quickly and then we'll, we'll back up and, and we'll t- kind of talk our way through it. So starting out in Matthew 11, verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, everyone is busy. Everyone is tired in life. Now, I, in my particular job, I have the, the pleasure of interacting with a wide swath of people. And, you know, so we, there's sort of the introductory question that you always ask. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? Right? What do you think is the one thing I hear more than anything else? Busy. Right? That's what I hear. Busy. Day in, day out, I've been asking that same question for years and years. And the thing that I hear from people is busy. (laughs) And yet, in this passage here, Jesus offers a light burden. What does that mean? You know, recently I came to a place of exhaustion in ministry. It's not so much that ministry is harder than any other job. Uh, There are lots of jobs that have very similar uh, schedules and types of output and and that kind of a thing. Um, But it's more the reality that that I was becoming increasingly poor at managing my life in a in a way that was sustainable under the current stresses and the workload that come with my job in this particular season. So some seasons have more difficulty than others. And uh, this last season for us here at Heritage has had a whole lot of change. There have been personal changes. There have been, you know, uh, global changes. There have been national changes. And, uh, and there have been work changes that, that really led me to a place of feeling... I think exceedingly tired and, and really deeply at a soul level worn out. Now, 
generally, it is not the practice of pastors to talk about, you know, their misery because what they want to bring oftentimes is an, some form of encouragement and, and hope. I'll get there, so hang with me. But I became aware in this season that the, the lights on the dashboard of my heart were blinking and that the buzzers and bells and warning signs were going off. Now at first, my strategy was just to knuckle down. Like, okay, this is one of those seasons where you just got to plow like an ox. And so put it in low gear, put it in granny, right? And just start grinding it out, right? Just walk it out. I'd show up to the office and Aaron, bless his heart, would look at me. He's like, how you doing today? You know, I'd, I'd spill my guts to my friend. Like, you know, and, okay, but here we go. Let's grind it out, you know. Let's serve the Lord with gladness. But what I was feeling like was that I was serving the Lord with sadness, <laughs> with the heaviness. Now, this strategy of just sort of like put it in low gear and grind it out is not the strategy that I would give my kids. Like if they are driving in their car and they see the lights blinking and buzzers are starting to go off, I would never say, drive the car harder. Matter of fact, downshift and rev it up. I would never say that. Why? Because I would know. It's incredibly unwise to do that. If the dash panel is lit up and the car is beeping, the solution is never to drive faster and drive harder. It's time to pull over. It's time to pop the hood. It's time to examine what is happening so that worse damage is not coming. So that worse damage is not being done. So God, in his grace, I think, intervened in my life in a really particular way. He began to open my eyes to some very real issues. There was a book that I was reading at the time, uh, and I was reading it for the purpose of kind of helping shape and give uh, shape to our huddle group ministry for the future. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Church, and the author is Peter Scazzaro. But I began reading through that with a thought of like, I want our groups to be healthy and I want to help build relationships and, and think about like life in Christ and how not to grow exhausted and all of these things. But as I started reading the book, it was really about what was happening in my heart. Some of the indicators that demonstrated that, that I actually was doing so much of what I was doing in the energy of my flesh and in my own strength. And so God in his grace intervened. And as I read, I began to identify that there were unhealthy behaviors in my life that were causing me to spiritually dry up and to emotionally burn out. And that is when this text began to really frustrate me. <laughs> I, I started to look at this text and find myself irritated with Jesus irritated with what he was saying. I mean, you, you read through this passage here and you get to verse 28 and, and listen to the invitation here. You ready? Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the questions that began to plague me. When Jesus says that taking up his yoke will make the burden easy, that has not actually been my experience in life. How is the load easy? How, How is there rest for my soul? And in my heart, I just turned to the Lord, and I, I'm like, God, I am so weary. I'm weary. And, and if this is the promise to those that follow you, I have really one of two conclusions. Either conclusion A, what Jesus said is not true. I don't like that option. Right? Because then that makes me say some things about the character of Jesus that are not consistent with what I know to be true about God and about his word. Or option B over here is that there is a way that I am living that is not consistent with what Jesus has said. That the reason I'm weary, the reason that I'm burdened, the reason that I'm emotionally tired and spiritually worn out doesn't have anything to do with the validity of the promise of Jesus, has everything to do with whether or not I have actually been doing what he asked of me. So this sent me on a quest, and it's it's a quest that I have to be real honest with you, is still unfolding in my life. And I have have a sneaking suspicion (laughs) that this is going to be one of those things that unfolds over the course of my lifetime. So I don't come to you as an expert on everything, okay? There's going to be some things that we explore and talk about uh, together in in this series that I, I think are recently fairly new in the rhythms of my life. But I have to tell you, in the changes that I have made, I'm finding peace, like deep peace. And closeness and renewal in my relationship with the Lord. It's, it's actually very eerily similar to a season in marriage that I went through. Where in marriage we were we were going through difficulty and and so my solution at the time was like read more books about relationships watch more videos take more classes right and so i i i did that i, I read the five love languages i i did love and respect and i i watched the videos and and found myself just like you know uh growing in my knowledge and understanding. But did you know that that doesn't actually build a relationship? To build a relationship, you actually have to talk to, spend time with your spouse. 
And, and, and I'm finding that what is happening in my life currently is that there's been a lot of study about Jesus and, and, and limited interaction with Jesus. Praying at specific moments before services at the start of my day, before meals, at bedtime, you know, talking, reading consistently and doing things. But it's the same as if I, if I pull out a picture of my wife on my phone and I just, I stare at her and I go, oh, I love you so much. You're so amazing. You're the best wife I've ever had. Right? That sounds very loving and affectionate. But there's a difference between doing that with a picture and coming home to see my wife, beholding her, and in a moment, I spontaneously, from the deepest parts of my soul, just giving God thanks and praise. And, and then looking at her and saying, babe, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for our friendship and for the ways in which we are walking through life together. And there's all this transition that's happening in our lives. And I, I just cannot imagine going through that without you by my side. You're the best of friends to me. You see the difference? So this began this quest to enter the rest that Jesus promised would come to those who follow him. And the key to answering that question of, of, of what does this mean? How do we get this rest? What, what does this look like? Really lies in properly understanding this passage here to begin with. This declaration of Jesus takes place towards the beginning of his ministry. He's recently given the Sermon on the Mount, which is classically called the Constitution of the Kingdom. It's an in-depth look at what Jesus wants people in his messianic kingdom to, to look like, how they will behave, and how it is that they'll relate to God in their lives. Now shortly after Jesus gives this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he gets word from his cousin, John the Baptist. And rather than being a word of encouragement... It is a question about whether Jesus was really the Messiah. Now think about this. They grew up together. John the Baptist saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even, worth, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals, right? Je Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sees the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in, in, in a form like a dove. And then he hears audibly the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then John, a short while later, gets arrested, ends up in jail, and he's in jail wondering, Okay, so when is Jesus going to do his thing? When's he gonna, when is he going to make it so that the kingdom comes around and I get out of this jail and he overthrows Rome? And when is all of that going to happen? So he sends word to Jesus, like, are, are you the dude? Are you the guy? Is it you? And Jesus' response is classic. He essentially just says, hey, look at my track record. Look, look at what is happening. The dead are being raised, the deaf hear, the blind see. 
The poor have the gospel preached. That's what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. Just, just look at it. Right? Now, right after that discouraging encounter, Jesus talks about the rejection that he's experienced from those that know him best. The places that he grew up in. And Jesus then pronounces woes to all the places that he's been rejected. Woe to Chorazin. Woe to Capernaum. He compares them and he says, hey, you guys who've been around me more than anybody else, a lot of my ministry has happened right here. You have seen my face. You know who I am. You guys who are so familiar with me, woe to you because if what had happened in your presence had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have responded differently than you have. They would have recognized who I am. They would have seen. And, and that leads into this moment. From out of nowhere, Jesus, in the middle of this rebuke to these cities that should know who he is, Jesus just breaks out in spontaneous prayer. Now, on the one hand, you, you think he's frustrated, but then he breaks into a prayer of thankfulness. Now, listen to the thankfulness. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus thanks his Father for the rejection. He says that the Father is doing a good job by making it hard for the professionals and easy for the children. Now this prelude is the backdrop for the next claim that Jesus will make. What is the next claim? Everything that the Father has is given to the Son. No one knows who the Son is and no one knows who the Father is. Uh, no one knows who the Son is and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and anyone he chooses to, to reveal the Father to. In other words, Jesus says here that he alone has the exclusive rights to the Father. He alone has the power to reveal who the Father truly is. He is the way to the Father. Now, this is no different from some of the claims in other teachings that he gave. But the exclusivity of this claim should be kind of shocking to us. It should kind of rattle us a little bit. Because he said, no one has ever really known God. And we have to ask the question, well, is that true? Has no one really ever known God the Father? I mean... Surely the prophets have known God. Surely Moses knew God. Didn't the scriptures say that Moses spoke to the Father like his friend? Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Don't the scriptures tell us that, that the Father and Moses were friends, that he talked with the Father like, it was, like the Father was his friend? So then what does this mean? What is Jesus saying here? And, and the question really lies in this understanding of the word known. When he says here that no one has ever really known the Father, verse, uh, 
Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The word in the Greek here for know, or have known in different translations, is epigonosko. It is a, a, a super-knowledge the word knowledge in Greek is gnosko. And so the, modif- the modifier epi, which means above or super, epi gnosko means sort of super knowledge or intimate knowledge, deep knowledge. The idea in this passage is that God has only been revealed in part through the past. But here in the Son, the full revelation of who God is has come to light. And perhaps the clearest way to see the distinction in the terminology here is to look at maybe a verse like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where it says, Now I know in part, now I gnosko, have knowledge, intellectual understanding, in part. But then I shall epigonosko. I will really, deeply, relationally, truly know, even as I am epigonosco, known. In the way that God deeply, truly, super knows me. There is coming a time where I will super know God at the same level. Epigonosco, therefore, is a knowledge which perfectly unites the subject with the object. This revelation knowledge is a relational knowledge. It's not simply the mere acceptance of historical facts or philosophical ideas. It is the language of relational knowledge. The way families know each other. Now, I may say, for instance, that I know somebody from church. I, I can say, oh, I know Steve. Steve's my homie. We love each other. Right? But the way I know him is different than how his kids know him. My knowledge of who he is and how he operates and what really is at the the root of his heart and what his history is, everything that has made him the person that he is, is limited. I don't truly epigonosco, Steve. So it's not the, the, the acceptance or the mere acceptance of historical facts or philosophical ideas Rather, it is a deep relational knowledge. I may say that I may know somebody from the church, but I do not know them in the same way that those of their own household know them. I know only in part. And, and, and here is the crux of the matter, guys. You see, Christianity is not just a set of ideas or what we call theology. It is not just merely, it's that and more, But it is not merely a set of ideas or what we call theology. And it is not merely a set of rules or what we call ethics. It's not about moral, you know, do this, don't do this, touch not, taste not, handle not. You can't reduce it to merely a set of ethics. It is a way 
of life. We say a lot about theology in the church global, and we say a lot about ethics in the church global. We have the moral majority and all the rest that goes with it. But it is strange to me that we say very little about a way of life, very little about a way of living. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that the Son has been given the sole job of revealing exactly who the Father is. This enables those that come to him to know the Father in the same way that the Son has known and experienced his relationship with the Father. So let's summarize then what this passage is saying up to this point. There are people who have rejected Jesus. Jesus tells them that the most rebellious cities in biblical history would have had it figured out if he had come to them. So woe is pronounced to those places around Galilee. Jesus then prays and thanks the Father that he set it up this way. He made it so that true knowledge, relational knowledge of the Father is only known through relational knowledge of the Son. And then next comes the invitation. The invitation, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This invitation from Jesus is an invitation to a number of things. For those of you who are note takers, there are three things that I'd like to highlight even though I think it says so much more. The first one is it's an invitation to follow. It's an invitation to follow. Jesus told the crowd around him that they could come to him. As a rabbi, he's inviting those around him to come and follow him him and follow in his teachings. It's not just an invitation to merely learn about a subject and tuck away knowledge on some spiritual subject matter. It's an invitation to actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus and to learn how he views the world and to mimic his lifestyle, to learn the way of relating to the Father by mirroring the footsteps of the Son. It's an invitation to follow. It's an invitation, as one pastor that I know of, he he put it great and he stole it from somebody else. That's the way of pastors, right? The person he stole it from is Dallas Willard, but John Mark Comer up in Portland, he says this, it's an invitation to apprentice under Rabbi Jesus and become like he is. When he says, come to me, when he says, take my yoke, he's saying, listen, 
I'm inviting you to come alongside of me and to do what I've been doing. To learn how to relate to the Father in the way that I have been relating to the Father. To know him in the way that I have known him. In essence, Jesus is saying, come to me because I can actually show you how it's done. I will teach you the way of the Father. I will teach you how to really, truly, deeply know him. And to experience the life that he's intended for you. So follow me. Do what I do. So first of all, it's an invitation to follow. Second thing is, it's an invitation to learn. Now we're no longer in an agrarian society, so I think sometimes it's helpful to go back and and think about these things from the perspective of people who lived in an agrarian culture where farming was regularly practiced. Some of the implied meaning from this invitation is easy to overlook here because we're unfamiliar with farming culture. So it requires us to think a little bit about this picture and, 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 and try and understand or, or really grab a hold of the full picture of what Jesus is painting here. So ox, oxen were, were the tractors of Jesus' day. They were like the high-powered equipment. And if you were a farmer, having an ox meant that you could get a lot of work done. Without an ox, it meant plowing, it meant earth moving, it meant carrying heavy loads, had to be broken down into human-sized portions, and you had to bear that burden on your own back. Now, you, you could get a horse or a donkey, and, and those were great work animals and labor animals as well, but nothing was quite as strong as the ox. It was the John Deere of the day. Now the downside was that an ox was much slower. Whereas a donkey or a horse could get things done more quickly, an ox would move very, very slow, but they were very, very powerful creatures. For agricultural purposes, oxen are more suitable to heavy tasks such as breaking sod, plowing in wet, heavy, or clay-filled soil. When hauling freight, oxen can move very heavy loads, although at a slow and steady fashion. They are at a disadvantage compared to horses when it's necessary to pull a, a plow or a load of freight relatively quickly. However, horses and donkeys often tire and the heavy stress loads uh, that, that they carry will wear them out, whereas an ox can work all day long without needing really any rest, without really needing a break. So now, the, here's the deal. If you purchase an ox, a, a, an ox would live for about 20 years, but not all of those years were labor-worthy years. And so what you had to do was you had to plan ahead. And, and a lot of times, you know, you would send your ox out um, or excuse me, you would hire out somebody who would breed an ox for you, and, and then you would train the, the new ox, the younger ox, alongside of the older ox. So the purchase of an ox was a solid investment in the household or farm. It meant that you could have 
uh, a strong labor animal for a long time to accomplish a lot of work. But the younger, untrained oxes needed to be yoked to an older, trained ox to learn the process of how to pull a load and how to obey the commands of the farmer, the master. Knowing that an older ox could be injured or might fall sick, might grow lame, it was good to have an ox in training kind of constantly all the time. So then, after securing a younger ox, and in order to train the younger ox to become the quality, work, work, quality worker of the older one, you would yoke them together so that the young ox could learn. This enabled the animal to use its incredible power to pull against the burden of the plow, but in partnership with someone or a, another ox that was less experienced, that, that, that didn't really know how to do it. The older ox knew what was expected and had the strength and experience to get the job done. Now hear what Jesus is saying to us and saying to the crowd that was there at that day. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. He's saying, look, I've got the yoke. It's right here. My neck is here. Come along. Stick your head in here. Take my yoke upon you. Let's plow this light together. Let's do this together. You can learn from me. I'm not an evil taskmaster. I'm not somebody laying heavier burdens on you. I'm plowing alongside of you. And I know how it's done. I understand how to follow the commands of the master. I know how to shoulder a load. The idea here is that Jesus the experience, is the experienced labor who who is already the master at this. He moves at a strong but slow and steady pace. He's patient and he's humble. He's not an evil taskmaster who asks something of you that he is unwilling to do for himself. Rather, he is able to bear great burdens and has demonstrated that and he's inviting you to learn how to carry the load as well. Through plowing together, the younger oxen, the untrained oxen, the crowd that was there in Jesus' day, and I would say the disciples who are present here today are being invited to follow in Jesus' footsteps. This then will be something that they hand off to the next generation as they become practiced in the life and labor of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is teaching that this is not merely an intellectual pursuit. It is the practice of doing. It is the practice of plowing. It is the practice of plodding along. And that a disciple or an apprentice, to use the words of Dallas Willard, is somebody who comes alongside of Jesus and knows that since this isn't just about right information and we do want good theology, I'm not saying we abandon good theology, but that's not what the point of theology is. The point of theology is to enable you 
to walk alongside of Jesus in the doing of life, in the labor for the kingdom. And since this is not merely an intellectual pursuit, and it is the practice of doing, plowing, and plotting, a disciple or apprentice then is learning from him to do what Jesus did. And so it's an invitation. It's his invitation to experience, not just to study. It's an invitation to take up his yoke. In word picture, Jesus is saying, I have my head and shoulders in this side of the work, and if you will come alongside of me and match my step and do what I'm doing, live it out, work it out, what you'll find is that the same loads that used to be so heavy are much lighter now. We'll walk beside one another. I'll lead you in the actions. Our job is to imitate what he's doing while we're yoked together with him. And because of his strength and his experience, we learn to live with a lighter burden. This brings us now to then the third part. It's also an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to freedom. In responding to Jesus' invitation, we're given some promises. We can see what the promises are. He says, it's a promise to the weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises rest. I don't know about you guys, but after a night where I spend 15, 20 minutes scrolling Facebook, do I feel rested? On a day off, where you catch a couple on Netflix, Do you feel rested? There's a promise here to the weary, to the heavy laden. Jesus promises rest and he tells us that plowing with him will not be endless toil. It's not going to be endless amounts of hardship. He, He promises that if we're plowing alongside of him, our souls will actually be at ease. And it's not that the burden has been reduced of life. He's not saying, I'm going to take away the burden of life. No, what he's saying is, because you're plowing with me, and we're doing life together, and you are learning of me how to carry a burden, your life will be lighter as a consequence. He promises to give us rest for our souls. Interesting fun fact here. If a trained ox can pull 5,000 pounds, and an untrained ox can pull about 2,000 pounds, together, they can actually pull 10,000 pounds. So a trained ox can pull 5,000. An untrained ox can pull about 2,000. But when they're yoked together, it's not 7,000 pounds. It's 10,000 pounds 
that they can pull. And when the ox is trained, it's even more than that. Some estimate even up to 15,000 pounds. It's much more than the sum of the two. Over time, the untrained ox becomes trained and the two begin to walk in step with each other and they can pull a massive load together. And Jesus gives us this word picture here where where he represents the trained ox who leads the other ox and does the heavy lifting with no weight limitation. Here's what I realized. going, Going back to what what Jesus is teaching me, I think, in this season of life. Burnout doesn't come from working too hard for God. Let me say that again. Burnout does not come from working too hard for God. It comes from working alone for God. There's a huge difference. Weariness in life is not the result of life being too hard and serving Jesus being too hard. It is actually the result of trying to carry the load ourselves. Living life in such a way as though it were all up to us. That we have to muscle it out. That we have to carry the burden. That we have to pull the plow in life. Working side by side with Jesus gives us rest, not from our work, but gives us rest in our work. We want to be yoked with Jesus because the load is too heavy for us to carry alone. That's the reality. Life is too heavy for us to carry it all by ourselves in our own strength. Now, we don't need to trivialize the burdens of the world. They're real. They're ever-present. And they are heavy. Matter of fact, I would would say this. to, to, To say this in reverse... If the burdens of this life are not heavy, then a yoke is not needed. Amen? Because they're heavy, you're going to need the yoke. And Jesus is saying, listen, the burdens of this life are too heavy for you to carry on your own. So instead, step into my yoke with me and come with me. I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to labor alongside of you. We're going to do this together, and in the process, what you'll find is that the burden is lessened because it's not only your own strength. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he said. You know what he said right after that? But take heart. For I have overcome the world. There it is again. Step in with me, right? Come into this yoke with me. The yoke of Jesus is easy and his burden is light precisely because that yoke connects us to the one who has overcome the world. That's the profoundness of it. He's gentle enough to know how and when to stop and when to rest. 
He's strong enough to carry the load. He's wise enough to lead us where we need to go. And this rest that he gives us isn't the removal of burdens or work that needs to be done. Rather, it's the carrying of the burdens that he gives us. doesn't mean that we carry every burden. It does mean that we narrow the field of the burdens that we carry that are under his yoke. And the result is not only rest, but it's rest for the deepest parts of our heart. It's rest for our souls. So, I just, out of curiosity, I, I want to just put this out there. Are you heavy? Are you living life at a break, breakneck pace? Do you find that in your life there is little time for Silence. For reflection, for pause, for peace. One author gave us ten signs that you're moving too fast in life. Just make a mental check mark for each one of these. Do you notice irritability, hypersensitivity? Restlessness, that is when you are still and silent, you don't know what to do. You feel like you should be doing something. Compulsive overworking. Emotional numbness. Escapist behaviors. You just can't wait to go home and crack open the fridge or go do something fun or just be out somewhere or whatever. Trying to escape something disconnection from our sense of identity and calling who you are in the Lord and a, and a purposefulness in that. If you're not able to attend to human needs, things like sleep, <laughs> eating, you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh man, I was so busy today, I forgot to actually eat a meal. You're hoarding energy. Or there's a slippage in spiritual practices where you can go a, a great amount of time without ever actually bringing yourself before the Lord and saying, God, I just love being here with you. I just love you. You, you see, there are indicators in our lives that demonstrate that we, in Society, but more importantly, in the church, are living at such a pace that it's not sustainable over the long haul. Guys, there is too much information in the world. Do you know that? You will not be able to read every article, read every book, know everything. Your brain cannot contain it all. You're not supposed to. There are too many people to know in the world. You cannot be friends with everyone. That means you're going to have to conserve life and invest in the relationships that are the most important. A lot of what we're going to be talking about is embracing our finiteness. Embracing our limitations in life. 
Do you find, after hearing about irritability and hypersensitivity and restlessness and compulsive overworking and numbness and escapist behaviors, as you go through that list, do you find that you go, man, check, check, check. I'm living in a distracted way. I'm living at a pace in life that is not sustainable. I want to know it all. I want to experience it all. I want to read everything. I want to be in the know. I want to know everyone and be deep in my friendships with everyone. You cannot do that. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you tired to the soul? That is what we need to explore. Is there, is there other stuff that we have added to the yoke that Jesus has not actually called us to carry as a burden? So over these summer months, we'll be discussing how following Jesus' life can give rest to your soul. We're going to talk about the things that get added to our burden in life. The things that Jesus never meant for us to carry. We're going we're gonna, to... Talk about the burdens that weigh us down. But before we get into all of that, I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. I want you to see this invitation. You're being invited to carry his yoke. In order that you might find rest. Not in order that you might add one more list of things to your plate. So one of the things that we've been talking about as a group is, uh, okay, so... We can do this teaching in such a way that we go, okay, Jesus' will for you is to take his yoke so that you can have a restful life experience. But then we can do this teaching in such a way that we add 45 more things to a life of following Jesus, and now, after the teaching, you have a new list of things to accomplish. And I I want you to hear this. The hardest way to follow Jesus is, is to still have your time your family, your job, your house, your responsibilities. And then to add on top of all of those things that are your responsibility, all the things that God desires for you to have in life. Instead, the easiest way to follow Jesus is to radically alter your lifestyle. And take the pattern of Jesus' lifestyle, his fellowship with the Father, his pace of life, his rhythms of rest, his ideals in relationships and how he managed relationships, and to begin to look at that as a pattern for how we live in this world. When you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, you experience the life of Jesus. The great irony here is that Jesus knows that his audience is weary and is heavy laden. So you know what he offers them? (laughs) A yoke. You'd think he'd offer them like a nap. Or day off. That's not what he gives. He offers them a tool. He offers them equipment that will help them to carry the load of life in a less burdened way. It is a way of carrying life different than the way that they have been doing it. I'm going to invite Mitch to come up as I close this out, but I I just want to extend an invitation to you. Are you burdened with the heaviness of this world's brokenness? 
got good news for you. The one who has plowed before you has already borne the burdens of the world. He's an expert at it. He knows how to do it. He sees all the world and all of its brokenness, and he knows how to navigate it all. Are you burdened with relationships and how to maintain it all? Jesus showed us how to have relationships that are healthy. Relationships where he loved even his enemies, but reserved the best of himself for those closest to him. Are you weary? Jesus lived a life with rhythms of rest so that the demands of society, his business as a carpenter, his life as a rabbi and ministry never crushed his soul. Is your soul tired today? Jesus lived in the constant awareness of his Father. And the fruit of Jesus' life wasn't born through through effort or insane work routines or more structure. It was the fruit of abiding in closeness with his Father. The one who plows beside you is stronger. He's more wise. He's the one who bore the weight of the world's brokenness on the cross and rose victoriously. And together, we're going to learn how to walk in his steps. Through proximity, and intimacy with Jesus. We're invited to follow in his steps and learn to pull the same load with him as our guide. And by following the example of prayerfulness that he exhibits, we're trained to entrust our heavy cares to him. So mighty and sovereign God, and by following his radical forgiveness, we learn to live in a less burdened way, not carrying around a deep soul anger towards others that limits us in life. By following his example of humility, we're not drawn into prideful and arrogant and simplistic solutions that are given by a world that thinks that might is right. By following his example of servanthood, we're trained to approach the world from a position of care and of love from the heart. We learn to care about strangers and orphans and widows and foreigners. We're unencumbered by a life of discrimination. By following the closeness to the Father and the abiding, we learn that fruitfulness in life is a natural byproduct of just being close to the Father. It is not a discipline that is merely mental. It is at a soul level our drawing close to the Father and experiencing His life imparted to us. We learn to do life in a lighter way by plowing alongside of Jesus. And so I just want, I want to read this passage to you out of the message. I just love the wording here. And I want you to just right now, would you do this? Would you close your eyes? Those of you who are at home watching on, would you close your eyes? Let the word of God just wash over you. Think about what God is calling us to today. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from the sophisticates and the know-it-alls, but you spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Are you tired 
Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is the unique father-son operation. Coming out of the father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does. And no one knows the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping this to myself. I'm, I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone who is willing to listen. So come to me. Come to me. Father, we hear your call. You want us to, to not just know about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but to experience the life of the triune God. The only way that's going to happen, God, is if you begin to remove the things that distract us. The only way that's going to happen, God, is if you train us, if you teach us to walk with you, to walk alongside of you in this series and in this time as a part of the goodness of the gospel would you show us Lord how to do that would you show us how to live life the way you intended for us to live it as we embrace our finiteness as we embrace our limitations as we take up the yoke Lord, for those who are living with heavy hearts in a broken world, God, would you bring rest to their souls? Thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you, God, that this is not just another teaching, but this is an actual call from you by the Holy Spirit to step into a way of living. So now, God, lead us through it. Make us your apprentices. In the name and for the glory of Jesus.